It is early afternoon on December 1st, 1717, off the Leeward Islands in the Lesser Antilles. Blackbeard's pirate flotilla sails through the deep blue waters around the British island of St. Christopher. After his destruction of Guadeloupe town just days earlier, Blackbeard's now on the prowl for other weak ports. And he knows just the place. The settlement of Sandy Point is still weak from French attacks during the war. The island's defenses are pathetic. It's ripe for plundering. The pirate fleet skirt around the headland of St. Christopher, hugging the palm-fringed coastline. Inland, vast volcanic peaks rise out of tropical forests before disappearing into a thick layer of low-lying clouds. An eerie silence seems to surround the island. A silence that will soon be violently broken. Before long, the pirates arrive at the entrance to the harbour. Their target comes into view. Blackbeard gives the order to run up the black flag. Unlike the raid on Guadeloupe, a surprise attack under the cover of darkness, the townspeople of Sandy Point will watch the horror unfold before them. The Queen Anne's Revenge, along with Steed Bonnet's vessel, the Revenge, and a third sloop, enter the harbour in broad daylight. Bold as brass, Jolly Rogers flapping in the wind. Many colonists know pirates when they see them. Some of the astonished residents may even recognize Blackbeard's iconic flag, flying above the 40-gun warship now bearing down on them. The skeleton stabbing a blood-red heart, holding an hourglass aloft, informing his victims their time has come. The pirates fire a volley of cannon over the timber homes and thatch roofs of Sandy Point, announcing their arrival and their intentions. Panic rips through the port. Everywhere, people scurry for cover. The pirates swoop down on the two English vessels at anchor, spilling onto their decks, plundering their holds and terrorizing the crew. Eventually, the local militia manager responds. From the measly fort on Brimstone Hill, cannons fire off a shot or two at the pirates. They miss. In response, Blackbeard orders one of the seized ships to be moved directly under the fort's guns and set on fire. The vessel is loaded with molasses sugar, thick plumes of black, sickly sweet smoke rise up, engulfing the town. The British defenders can't see, they can hardly breathe. Blackbeard doesn't stop there. He orders for the rest of the merchant ships in the harbour to be set alight as well. Soon the air tastes bitter with the acrid stench of burning cargo, timber and sails. The pirates paint the skies over Sandy Point black, just like their flag. I'm Tom Morton, and welcome to Real Pirates. The show that dives deep into the true story behind the world's most notorious buccaneers. Join us as we set sail under the black flag, alongside such legendary figures as Blackbeard, 
Henry Morgan, Charles Vane, Anne Bonny, and Mary Reed. We'll reveal how these marauding mariners rose to dominate the seven seas, the terror tactics they employed to overpower their prey, and what life was really like aboard their ships. Their reputations have swollen to legendary proportions, making it hard to separate fact from fiction. Who were they? Terrorists or freedom fighters? Cold-blooded killers or heroic underdogs? As it turns out, the truth is far stranger than fiction. This episode is brought to you by Anytime Fitness. Forget dark alleys and cemeteries. For some, the gym is the scariest place of all. But it doesn't have to be. With a personalized plan and expert coaching, Anytime Fitness can help make the gym less frightening. Get more for your gym membership than machines. Get personalized support anytime, anywhere. Visit anytimefitness.com to try it for free today. Terms, conditions, and restrictions apply. See website for details. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code SPOTIFY for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Life is full of awesome what ifs and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out of pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. Blackbeard's attack makes it clear every port in the Caribbean is now vulnerable to piracy. Even if a Royal Navy vessel is on hand, they are no match for him. Just days out from the attack on Sandy Point, Blackbeard's lookout spots a British warship, the HMS Seaford. For most pirates, this would be the cue to turn tail and run. Not Blackbeard. Contemptuously brazen, he sails straight past it. What he doesn't realize is how valuable the Seaford's cargo is. On board the Seaford, Captain Rose stands next to Walter Hamilton, governor of the Leeward Islands. Together, they assess the strange-looking flotilla in front of them. When the Seaford finally makes port at Sandy Point, they are confronted with a scene of devastation. They also suddenly realize how close they had come to facing Blackbeard's terror themselves. An outraged Governor Hamilton writes to the pirate hunter Francis Hume of the HMS Scarborough, urgently pleading for his help with these villains. The Scarborough arrives, and along with the Seaford, spends over a month chasing down Blackbeard. Some sources claim that Blackbeard and Hume face off in an epic sea battle, and that Blackbeard sent Hume running with his tail between his legs. However, the detailed logbooks of the Scarborough do not corroborate the story. More likely is that it's another part of Blackbeard's myth, testament to his fearsome reputation. What actually follows is a desperate manhunt. Chasing rumors and reports, the Royal Navy pursue Blackbeard across the Antilles and down to Dominica. Or so they think. 
the pirates actually led them on a wild goose chase. The naval vessels eventually sailed 300 miles in the wrong direction before giving up. Blackbeard, no doubt toasting their success, is in the wind, out of reach. Little does he know, change is coming. He is about to discover that the pirates' days are numbered. It's December 5th, 1717. Blackbeard and Bonnet are off the coast of Puerto Rico, bringing their piratical campaign to an end in the Leeward Islands with the capture of one more sloop, the Margaret, captained by Henry Bostock. Blackbeard liberates livestock, books, and navigational instruments from the Margaret, but provisions aren't the only thing he's interested in. Information is just as valuable. Aboard the Queen Anne's Revenge, Bostock, knees shaking, stands in Blackbeard's cabin. The wild-looking pirate captain circles him. A clay pipe hangs from Blackbeard's mouth, and smoke billows around his dark, bearded face. Blackbeard is interrogating Bostock. He wants to know what ships are trading in the area. Sweat drips down Bostock's face as he notes the six pistols strapped to Blackbeard's chest and the cutlass at his side. Bostock has heard the stories and read the papers. The raids on ships and ports, burning down towns. Blackbeard is already a legend. Nevertheless, Bostock won't talk. But withholding information is a deadly game. Bostock risks torture or worse. Despite his fear, he keeps silent. The same is not true of his crew. They give Blackbeard all the information he wants. As for Bostock, the one piece of information he does offer changes everything for Blackbeard. News has arrived across the colonies. News that will shock every pirate in the Americas. The British Crown, he says, is offering pirates a general pardon. The Act of Grace. Back on September 5th, 1717, King George I signed the Proclamation for Suppressing Pirates. The proclamation decrees, Pirates shall on or before September 5th in the year of our Lord 1718 surrender. Such pirates shall have our gracious pardon. Dr. Rebecca Simon is a historian and author of Why We Love Pirates, The Hunt for Captain Kidd and How He Changed Piracy Forever. Around 1717, a lot of attitudes surrounding pirates began to really shift. For several years now, the legal authorities have been doing what they could to try to get rid of piracy. They're sick and tired of pirates constantly thwarting them all over the place. And this is where what we call the war on pirates really comes to a head. Back in London, the Board of Trade, the committee responsible for colonial affairs, has been given the task of plotting the end of piracy in the Americas. Dr. David Wilson is an academic and author of Suppressing Piracy in the Early 18th Century. The Board of Trade return with key recommendations. The first is to provide more naval vessels for the Caribbean and North America to deal with this pirate threat, to hunt pirates and to suppress pirates at sea. 
The second recommendation is to provide a pardon. They can't just chase down every single pirate, it's not going to work. The reason for the pardon is is really to provide that avenue for pirates to return to colonial society willingly and proactively. So really with that, you've got what is basically a carrot and stick approach. You've got the Navy, the stick, and you've got the carrot, the pardon. And both of those, they hope, will deal with the problem of piracy on the sea. Whilst piracy has been a thorn in the side of the crown, the real pressure has come from the colonial governors and the merchants, slavers, and traders in England. Eric J. Dolan is the author of Black Flag's Blue Waters, the epic history of America's most notorious pirates. There was more commercial activity in the Caribbean. There were more merchants who wanted to keep their ships safe. There was more money coming from the Sugar Islands going back to England. And Great Britain wanted to protect this massive source of wealth. It was incredibly important at the time, and it was growing year by year, that finally pirates became an irritant that they really wanted to get rid of. The arrival of the pardon changes everything. But for perceptive pirates like Blackbeard, it may not have been a huge surprise. The signs were there. The crown was bound to respond eventually. And pirates weren't stupid. They got news about the broader world. They could see that many of their fellow pirates were being hanged throughout the Atlantic. They could see that their business model wasn't working as well. And I think that predisposed a lot of them to decide to get out of business, <laughs> at least the pirate business. Whilst the news of the pardon may not have shocked Blackbeard, the timing stinks. It may have even increased his anger against the colonies. One colony in particular. Just weeks ago, the crew of Samuel Bellamy, his friend, were tried and executed in Massachusetts. They just missed receiving pardons. Colin Woodard is a journalist and author of The Republic of Pirates. Of course, in October 1717, these pirates go to trial and then they're executed before word reaches Boston in early December of this proclamation. There may have been a sense of injustice in all that, that Boston had hanged these men who would have been fitting under the pardon like all of the other pirates, which may have just sort of added to the anger and the fury at them. As a result, Blackbeard is hell-bent on destroying as many ships from New England as he can to avenge the crew of Sam Bellamy. But Blackbeard is no fool. The arrival of the pardon makes one thing clear. His time as a freewheeling buccaneer is coming to an end, and sooner than he planned. From now on, a clock is ticking. It was a divide-and-conquer strategy that the king had just issued a royal proclamation of pardon that any pirates who came and surrendered and sought pardon for their crimes would be given pardon and would be able to keep all of their loot, but had to, you know, retire from piracy and stand down. And Blackbeard realized that many of his compatriots, suddenly given the chance, a get-out-of-jail-free card and keep your treasure too, would probably take it. Blackbeard heads a pirate army of nearly 400 men. It's easy to imagine Blackbeard now eyeing his crew, wondering how many may abscond, seeking freedom from their crimes. I mean, who wouldn't want to get out of jail free card? But Blackbeard needs to keep his crew together long enough to finish the job he'd started. Like the pirates of legend, Morgan, Avery, 
even his friend Bellamy, he wants to strike it rich, more than one big score, before finally retiring. But like the hourglass emblazoned on his iconic black flag, he feels time slipping away from him. For all the depredations that Blackbeard had done, he didn't have a great pile of jewels and gems sitting on the floor of the Queen Anne's Revenge. And they wanted that before they retired. So knowing this at this time, suddenly you can see Blackbeard changes his tactics. He is desperately seeking a very large final score. Blackbeard now begins a hunt for richer prizes. He sails his fleet into Spanish waters, seeking one prize in particular, the British treasure ship, the Royal Prince. He decides that he will try to target perhaps the greatest symbolic target you possibly could, which was the Royal Prince. It was the South Seas Company's first trading mission to Spain since the war, the first Britain to Spanish trade expedition. Even though the Royal Prince was an armed vessel itself, they sent the HMS Diamond, like a 400-ton Royal Navy frigate, to escort it all the way to Veracruz in Mexico. Blackbeard decided that they were going to target that vessel and let it be known they were going to do so. There were reports, you know, the Spanish didn't know who Blackbeard was, but reports were starting to show up in the Spanish sphere that were later reprinted in London newspapers that a pirate known only as the Great Devil was hunting for the royal prince and said he would make a pirate of her and the HMS Diamond too. Rumor has it the royal prince has begun its long journey home, lumbering under the weight of silver and gold. Unfortunately for Blackbeard, wherever he hears a report of the royal prince, by the time he arrives, she's nowhere to be seen. He just didn't get lucky. He was in the wrong places at the wrong time, a few days or weeks behind the vessel trying to find her, and so kept missing his opportunity. And that great score that would have made Blackbeard not only a successful pirate, but a staggering rich one. And that was what he was trying to set up and do as his final act in official piracy before, oh, I just discovered there's a pardon, right? How wonderful. And could go take the pardon. But he wanted to make that score first. This episode is brought to you by Anytime Fitness. Forget dark alleys and cemeteries. For some... The gym is the scariest place of all, but it doesn't have to be. With a personalized plan and expert coaching, Anytime Fitness can help make the gym less frightening. Get more for your gym membership than machines. Get personalized support anytime, anywhere. Visit anytimefitness.com to try it for free today. Terms, conditions, and restrictions apply. See website for details. It's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. It's March 1718. Blackbeard so far has been unsuccessful in Spanish waters. Now, Steed Bonnet, Blackbeard's would-be protégé, has the idea to strike out on his own. Bonnet has spent months observing the pirate master and thinks he's ready to prove himself a worthy leader in his own right. To Bonnet's surprise, 
Blackbeard lets him take the revenge. He even wishes him well. Blackbeard's flotilla is powerful enough without the revenge and its unconventional captain. Besides, as whispers about taking the king's pardon snake through the ships, having one crew less isn't such a bad thing. Blackbeard knows that when they do bag that final score, it'll go farther with fewer men. Free from Bonnet, Blackbeard takes the Queen Anne's revenge to Turniff Island, which English merchant vessels frequent. But Bonnet's solo venture is a short-lived relief for Blackbeard. Jeremy Moss is the author of The Life and Trials of the Gentleman Pirate Steed Bonnet. In March of 1718, a couple of months after the taking of the Queen Anne's Revenge, Bonnet encountered another large vessel, a 400-ton merchantman called the Protestant Caesar. And he was sailing out of Boston by way of Jamaica into the Bay of Honduras. And the Protestant Caesar was massive, right? It's four times the size of the Revenge. It's heavily armed. It's got probably 26, 27 cannons compared to the 10 cannon Revenge. But for some reason, Bonnet had not learned his lesson with the Spanish man of war, and the attraction to this Protestant Caesar was too strong for Bonnet. So the Revenge initiated another pursuit, and he pulls up alongside the ship and he's yelling right through this, essentially like a megaphone saying, if you fire another gun, we're not gonna give you any quarter. When you don't offer quarter to somebody, it means if we capture you, we're gonna kill you. We won't take any prisoners. And they locked into a gun battle for almost three hours, trading cannon shots throughout the darkness of night. And ultimately, the Protestant Caesar, the larger vessel and its captain, we will kind of fend off this smaller revenge. So this is the second time in his career that Bonnet had attacked a larger merchant vessel and had been either defeated in battle or at least caused to retreat. It's only been a few weeks since Bonnet left Blackbeard. The Queen Anne's Revenge is anchored in a five-mile-wide lagoon off Turniff Island. In what must have felt like déjà vu for Blackbeard and some of his crew, he watches the battle-scarred Revenge come crawling back. Bonnet has once again failed. Blackbeard's face grows dark and thunderous as Bonnet reports how a New England ship, the Protestant Caesar, has made a mockery of him just like the Spanish warship. It seems the time Bonnet spent under Blackbeard's tutelage was all for naught. And Bonnet's crew aren't happy either. They plead with Blackbeard to remove Bonnet from command. The Pirate Code doesn't allow Blackbeard to make such a decision unilaterally. This isn't a dictatorship. On the deck of the Revenge, a vote is taken. Bonnet, once more, loses command of the Revenge due to his ineptitude. Blackbeard proposes one of his lieutenants take command, a man named Richards. Bonnet's crew accepts him without question. Anyone is better than Steed Bonnet, the landlubber wannabe pirate. In another blow to Bonnet, Blackbeard orders him back aboard the Queen Anne's Revenge to live as a guest, a crew member without duties. Blackbeard effectively places Bonnet under house arrest. It seems his days as a pirate commander are over. Bonnet's stock and credibility among the other pirates seems to have kind of risen and fallen and risen and fallen. The Protestant Caesar episode suggests that he was still considered, when push came to shove, not a reliable captain. In a time where pirates voted for and deposed captains by the will of the crew, Bonnet was deposed by the will of the crew. He didn't have the backing of his men, and I don't think he would have had the backing of Blackbeard himself. 
With the revenge part of his fleet again, Blackbeard spends the next five days ruthlessly pillaging, burning and adding ships to the flotilla. They rake in provisions, supplies, small valuables, but still that big score evades them. The prize capture is an 80-ton sloop from Jamaica called the Adventure. Blackbeard gives command of the Adventure to one of his trusted friends, Israel Hands. With his fleet strengthened, Blackbeard now goes on the hunt for the merchant ship that escaped Bonnet, the Protestant Caesar. But what motivates Blackbeard to chase down this one impudent merchant ship? Does it reveal something? about the real relationship between Blackbeard and his hapless partner, Steed Bonnet. Now, what's different for me about this encounter is what I consider some evidence that Blackbeard may have cared about Bonnet, right? So there's a lot of people that will say that Bonnet was taken advantage of, that maybe Blackbeard was a little bit of a con artist, perhaps, and he had taken his ship. And it's this instance where Blackbeard pulls the full flotilla together and chases after the Protestant Caesar to kind of get back at him, that it, to me indicates that maybe he cared about Bonnet. The ship wasn't known to have any significant gold or treasure, it was hauling logs back and forth the Bay of Honduras, and it felt personal, right? To travel back out and chase this ship down felt personal. And if it was personal to Blackbeard, it tells me that maybe he had a personal relationship with Bonnet. Maybe he did really care about him the two fellas. They had been at sea for a long time together. They had been in battles. They had taken a lot of ships. They would probably had a significant amount of conversations. And I think Blackbeard actually liked Bonnet. Does Blackbeard feel moved to defend Bonnet's honor? Or his own? After all, Blackbeard's strength comes from his fearful reputation. The defiance of the Protestant Caesar is an insult to pirates everywhere. Whatever Blackbeard's true reasons, he will seek retribution. The Hargan women seemed to have it all. We were blessed. My mom was amazing. But detectives would soon discover... Inside the house, there were the bodies of two women. A story of betrayal you would struggle to believe if it wasn't true. I am just praying to God, this is a sick joke. From 48 Hours, this is Blood is Thicker, the Hargan Family Killings. Listen to Blood is Thicker, the Hargan Family Killings, wherever you get your podcasts. This episode is brought to you by Etsy. Looking to instantly upgrade your Mother's Day gift from typical to meaningful? Shop Etsy. Now until May 12th, get up to 30% off personalized jewelry, style, decor, and so many other items mom will love. And if you want her to know you put a ton of thought into her present, use Gift Mode. Gift Mode on Etsy takes the stress out of gifting so you can easily find well-crafted, original, and affordable pieces from small shops. Just tap or click Gift Mode on your Etsy app or Etsy.com. Then answer a few short questions about mom, and Gift Mode instantly gives you curated ideas based on hundreds of personas. Need something original and affordable for Mother's Day? Etsy has it. Shop until May 12th for up to 30% off gifts for mom. Terms apply. It's April 8th, somewhere off the coast of Honduras. Blackbeard spots the vessel anchored in a cove. The crew of the Protestant Caesar, seeing the Queen Anne's revenge and her fleet, panic. 
Captain William Wire of the Protestant Caesar describes the approach as a large ship and a sloop with black flags and death hands, and three more sloops with bloody flags. A red flag can mean only one thing. No quarter. No mercy. Wire tries to rally his men and prepare for battle. They'd fought pirates before, but they are massively outnumbered, and his men refuse. Captain Wire is left with no choice. He orders his men to abandon ship. Rowing furiously, they all flee ashore. They hide amongst the trees and foliage for three days, while Blackbeard's crew raid the ship that had sent Bonnet running. With the Protestant Caesar stripped, Blackbeard goes ashore and captures Captain Wire. He needs to send a message to the world. Blackbeard doesn't mince his words. His retaliation is to avenge the executions of Samuel Bellamy's crew in Massachusetts. Blackbeard was probably genuinely affected by learning that Bellamy had died and that his crewmen were under trial. Blackbeard, when he would capture Boston and New England vessels, would make a point of destroying them. And he even said so when the Protestant Caesar he's captured, he basically says, sorry, I'm gonna have to burn this ship to the ground, to the waterline because you're from Massachusetts and Massachusetts executed the Bellamy pirates. Captain Wire watches as Blackbeard burns and sinks his New England ship. Everything he would be doing and telling the captain of the Protestant Caesar would be very thought out. He'd know that what he told Captain William Wire about his motivations and about why the ship was being burned would be carried on to Boston. It would probably end up in newspapers as it did. I don't know if he's just cultivating an image, but I think he was very consciously making public statements on behalf of the pirates and their point of view. Pride and reputation aside, deep down, Blackbeard is growing anxious. The months are ticking away until he must seek out a pardon if he wishes to escape and avoid the noose. He won't be able to brazenly attack colonial shipping for much longer and he's still not landed a big enough score to secure his retirement. Heading back north across the Florida Straits, Blackbeard raids dozens of ships. Most don't pay off, but what he discovers is troubling. He recognizes many of the captains whose ships he's stopping. They are former pirates who have already accepted the king's pardon. One reformed pirate Blackbeard is particularly surprised to see is Josiah Burgess. Burgess, along with Benjamin Hornigold and Henry Jennings, had been one of Nassau's most prominent pirate leaders. Now, he's a law-abiding civilian, a free man. From Burgess, Blackbeard learns Charleston, South Carolina, then known as Charlestown, has several merchant and passenger ships preparing to depart for London. He also learns that Charleston is free of any Royal Navy presence. Will these ships bring that big score Blackbeard is desperate to nab? He hopes so. After 1718, 1719, the pirates that we do read about, they're more and more desperate. They're more vicious, many of them. There are more murders, and that might be just the death rattle of the pirates lashing out. And also probably being frustrated that it was increasingly difficult to find a ship that had a lot of treasure on board 
So it was more likely that a merchant ship would fight back, but also they would have convoys where they would protect their investments. So it was getting harder and harder for a pirate to pick off a ship that might potentially have a lot of treasure on board. So it became a losing game. Through the rumor mill, Blackbeard also hears that even his former commander and friend, Benjamin Hornigold, has accepted the king's pardon. Not only this, but the pirate haven of Nassau is squarely in the sights of the British crown. Even now, a detachment of Navy ships, soldiers and colonists are reportedly on their way to resettle the Bahamas. The very symbol of piracy in the Caribbean is at risk of being lost. The writing is on the wall. Secretly, Blackbeard begins to plot out an exit strategy, a plan he will enact after he's finished with Charleston. It's a warm day in late May 1718, just nine miles outside of Charleston. Here, Blackbeard, far out of view of the harbor, begins a daring and bold series of attacks. The Queen Anne's Revenge and the fleet of pirate sloops set up a blockade. Defenseless and unaware merchant ships coming and going are raided by Blackbeard. Angus Constum is the author of Blackbeard, America's Most Notorious Pirate. It's May 22nd when he arrives off Charleston with those and blockades the port. Now that's the thing that really starts kicking things into a new gear because you're capturing ships, you're holding a port to ransom, and it's one of the major ports on the colonial American seaboard you're going to annoy a lot of people, a lot of merchants, a lot of colonial governors. They are reliant on maritime trade. It doesn't take long for merchant ships to catch on to what Blackbeard is doing. They opt to give Charleston a wide berth. But South Carolina trade is crippled. In fact, all the southern colonies are gripped by terror as ship after ship is taken by Blackbeard. But Blackbeard grows frustrated. The loot isn't substantial. It's not the kind of haul he can retire on. I can see why he was becoming more and more desperate because I went in the National Archives outside London and I pulled the customs records from the docks in Charleston of all the vessels that were leaving the docks that Blackbeard was capturing and what was in them because the departures it says. And, you know, he's just ending up with parcels of molasses and paper clips and tax, totally useless stuff, right? Not what he's looking for. And there's another problem. Throughout Blackbeard's fleet, his men are falling ill and grow desperate for medicines. The tropics are rife with disease, but it's suspected many of his crew also suffer from a malady that is self-inflicted. Syphilis, picked up by romps with sex workers whenever they made port. Whatever the case, the ship's surgeons don't have the medication to treat the ailing pirates. Medical supplies quickly become the top priority. Blackbeard knows he can't hold this blockade much longer. Word is spreading, and it's only a matter of time before the Royal Navy arrives in force. That's when the alarm bells really start, because essentially he's now gone into a big league. He's got the small fleet with this biggest warship, the 40-gunner, uh, Queen Anne's Revenge, which is actually bigger than the two British warships on the American seaboard, which are up in Virginia. 
the lime and the pearl. And the word goes from Charlestown to come send these ships down to relieve the blockade. So he wants to leave. A passenger ship named the Crowley attempts to run the blockade. It fails and is quickly snapped up by the pirates. Although it doesn't carry silver or gold, its cargo does give Blackbeard hope. The pirates force the passengers off the Crowley and aboard the Queen Anne's Revenge to be interrogated. Most of them, no doubt, believe they are going to their deaths. They are some of Charleston's most influential residents, including Samuel Ragg, a wealthy merchant and member of the ruling council. Time is of the essence, and Blackbeard knows how to play this card to his advantage. The passengers are held for ransom. Blackbeard sends two pirates and one hostage, Mr. Marks, ashore to negotiate with Governor Johnson of South Carolina. Blackbeard's request is simple, a chest of medical supplies and nothing more. If the governor does not comply within two days, Blackbeard will behead the captives one by one and send the governor their heads. But things don't go according to plan for Blackbeard's messengers. The dinghy carrying the men is capsized by a squall, stranding them on a remote island for a day. When the pirates and Mr. Marks reach shore, they are two days late. For all Marks knows, the hostages are already being beheaded. But Blackbeard hasn't killed anyone. The frightened hostages are in the dark, wet hold, waiting. Killing is merely a threat, one Blackbeard isn't ready to make good on. He blockaded one of the largest ports in the American colonies for a little bit more than a week. He had hundreds, probably, of hostages. If he was such a violent man, wouldn't you think that he would one by one kill a few of them to sort of make the governor of South Carolina stand up and pay more attention? But he didn't. When he heard about what happened to Bellamy, one of his former mates, yes, he got angry and he did burn a couple of ships from what we understand. But I still don't think even at that stage that he killed any people. It's interesting. If they wanted to maraud and they wanted to leave a trail of blood in the ocean, these pirates could have done it. I have no doubt that these pirates were smart enough to know that they started killing 20 or 30 or 40 hostages at each taking of a merchant ship that the entire force of the Royal Navy would have hunted them down. In his cabin, Blackbeard slams his fist on his deck and curses. It's been days and still he's heard nothing. It's easy to imagine Blackbeard's growing anxiety. His plan isn't working. What has happened to his men? Had they been arrested in Charleston? Did the governor not take his threats seriously? In addition, with each passing day, the British Navy's arrival draws nearer and nearer. He needs the medical supplies for his crew, and he needs to get out. With time no longer a luxury, Blackbeard orders the helmsman to sail into Charleston. If they don't comply, he will attack the town like Guadeloupe and Sandy Point. The Queen Anne's Revenge enters the harbor in broad daylight. The 
townspeople, seeing the pirates, are sent into a frenzied panic. They know what this means. Without naval support, Blackbeard can devastate Charleston. Fortunately, on this occasion, Blackbeard shows restraint. Charleston is spared. Whether Blackbeard really intended to attack the harbor is uncertain. Perhaps it was just a show of force. Whatever his intentions, his presence evokes a response. The go-between, Mr. Marks, rose out to the Queen Anne's revenge with a chest loaded with medicine in exchange for the hostages. It comes as a relief to Marks and Governor Johnson that no one has been murdered. But Blackbeard, as ever, has a flair for theatrics. He sends the prisoners ashore. According to Governor Johnson, they're nearly naked. The pirates have stripped them of everything but their undergarments. This blockade involved the hostage taking of important people in this colony. This made the blockade there in Charleston a really big deal. South Carolina is a, you know, one of these cultures of honor, right? The oligarchs would come to consider themselves to be sort of an aristocratic class. And there would be great motivation after Blackbeard had humiliated them and done this to them to hunt down Blackbeard, anyone associated with him, certainly demonize him, but hopefully somehow get revenge would have been the thought on the minds of anyone in South Carolina and their, you know, allied families and people elsewhere. The impact of Blackbeard's blockade would be far-reaching. Even now, the ripples of this insult to colonial power are spreading along the eastern seaboard. Powerful men have taken note. So was it all worth it? Despite destabilizing the Carolina trade and holding hostages for ransom, Blackbeard's overall plunder is less than 2,000 pounds, about $300,000 today. At least he got the medicines for his sickly crew. But still, the haul is nowhere near what he'd hoped. So why didn't he squeeze more from Governor Johnson? Why didn't he level the harbor like Sandy Point or Guadalupe Town? Blackbeard knows he's on borrowed time. He has to manage his exit carefully. In the end, Blackbeard takes what he desperately needed, medication for his crew, and possibly for himself, and gets out. The fleet now heads north, and Blackbeard mulls over his next decision. He knows he doesn't have enough loot stashed away to retire and live comfortably. Not with a crew of 400 men all wanting their share. His next step is to downsize his fleet. It's June 1718. Blackbeard sits alone in his cabin. Aboard his ship, booze supplies are low and the crew are a danger when this happens. In Central America, pirates are mutinying over rum supply shortages. The only surviving line from Blackbeard's now lost journal provides insight. He writes, Our company somewhat sober, a damned confusion amongst us. Rogues are plotting and great talk of separation. Blackbeard's piratical empire has become a liability. 
Even if he wanted to continue, he will struggle to make port anywhere now. The Queen Anne's revenge attracts far too much attention. Drastic measures must be taken. It's June 3rd, 1718, off the coast of Beaufort, North Carolina. Blackbeard orders his ships to enter the topsail inlet. As the adventure and revenge gingerly move through the narrow channel, avoiding the dangerous sandbanks and shoals, the Queen Anne's revenge follows behind. Blackbeard's plan is only known by two of his most trusted men, William Howard and Israel Hands. The Queen Anne's revenge approaches the shallow entrance to the anchorage. But as she does, Blackbeard orders the helmsman to keep straight ahead, breaking formation with the fleet. The helmsman panics and tries to argue, but Blackbeard silences him with a glowering look. Seconds later, with an almighty crunch of splitting timber, the 250-ton ship crashes into the shoals. The collision sends pirates flying and cripples Queen Anne's revenge. Israel Hands, on the adventure, doubles back and attempts to dislodge Blackbeard's ship. But in fact, this is only an attempt to make matters worse. The shoals tear the Queen Anne's hull as the adventure attempts to tow the mighty pirate vessel. Blackbeard's plan has worked. The Queen Anne's revenge is unsalvageable. The greatest and arguably most famous of pirate flagships sinks. It won't be seen again until 1996, when a private salvage company finally recovers the wreckage. Why did he do it? It seems pretty clear to me that he intentionally grounded his flagship in order to break up the ship's company and to leave with the people he trusted to go into his new chapter of his life. From the circumstances of what was done, it seems that Blackbeard didn't trust a large proportion of his now very large complement of pirates, right? You're talking, there's hundreds of people in his pirate flotilla. But Blackbeard isn't done yet. He still needs to lose some men. Hold up in the captain's cabin on the adventure, Blackbeard, Bonnet, Williams, and Hans discuss their options. They know they need the pardon to avoid the hangman's noose, but they have continued pirating long after the news of the pardon arrived. What Blackbeard needs is the cooperation of a compliant local governor. Blackbeard doesn't want to set foot on land until he's sure he'll be pardoned. Steed Bonnet, who has more or less been a captive aboard the Queen Anne's Revenge, is the snowball Blackbeard is willing to throw into hell. He convinces Bonnet to go ashore first, to fetch a pardon for himself from Governor Eden in nearby Bath Town. Blackbeard agrees to give Bonnet his old sloop back upon his return to sweeten the deal. Bonnet takes the bait. If they had been friends before, this could be evidence that they no longer are. The governor at the time, Governor Eden, was known to be a little bit loose with commerce, potentially a little bit loose with pirates. There's a lot of myths and legends that float around about the relationship between Governor Eden and Blackbeard later. And the way that the story goes is Blackbeard essentially sends Bonnet in a canoe. You know what? You go ahead. We'll take care of this. 
you go get your pardon. I'm going to go after you or I'll meet you up there. With Bonnet gone and headed landward and his crew relaxing on board the Revenge, Blackbeard moves to execute the next stage of his plan. He gives the signal. Blackbeard gathers Bonnet's loyalists and maroons them on a small island nearby. With them out of the way, there is more treasure to go around. This is Blackbeard at his most ruthless. Blackbeard has betrayed Bonnet. He is mutinied against his own men. The marooned crew watches powerlessly while Blackbeard and his devotees raid Bonnet's revenge, taking weapons, provisions, and money before sailing away. It's almost a year since Blackbeard parted ways with Benjamin Hornigold and began to build his own piratical empire. Now, at the height of his powers, he has dismantled it all. He has sunk his own flagship and discarded much of his crew. He has even rid himself of Steed Bonnet once and for all. Blackbeard has entered the final chapter of his career. The time for overt piracy is done. But if you think Blackbeard intends to quietly retire, a fox living peacefully amongst the chickens, you'd be wrong. Next week on Real Pirates. Blackbeard embarks on a new career, which looks suspiciously like his previous occupation. But this time, he does it under the cover of the law. Or so he thinks. In 1718, the royal pardon creates something of a legal grey area around piracy, a confusion that many on both sides of the law will try and work to their advantage. It's in this new landscape that Blackbeard will stake his claim as a criminal overlord disguised as a law-abiding colonial citizen. But old enemies are not so easily fooled. One man in particular will stop at nothing until he has Blackbeard's head on a spike. Find out next week on Real Pirates. Real Pirates is a Spotify original from Parcast, produced in partnership with Noiser, executive produced by Max Cutler, Drew Cole, and Pascal Hughes, developed by Julian Boirot for Parcast, produced by McAllister Bexon, written by Luke Coons, sound supervisor Tom Pink, edited by Carla Flores and Rob Plummer, sound design by Carla Flores and Matias Torres Sole, mix master by Cody Reynolds Shaw, music by Oliver Baines and Dory McCauley. 